the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, and our number two is underway now at seven minutes past ten o'clock on this free for all Friday, the twenty third morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks again. <clears throat> Excuse me, to Robert Spencer, who joined us uh, last half hour talking about uh, the ongoing threat of radical Islam and questioning the existence of the Prophet Muhammad in the first place. We've got uh, Christina Hagen, Hagen coming up next at 1035. But now I want to bring an old friend back to the program. We have not talked to Claire Lopez in some time. Since that time, she has founded a new uh, organization called Lopez Liberty LLC. She is the founder and president while continuing to work very hard to educate Americans about some of the ongoing threats that this country faces, particularly to our young people in the educational realm. Claire Lopez, good to have you back. How are you? Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me, and very glad to be back with you. It is uh, so good to have you. I have read some of your work on critical race theory. I have made this kind of a centerpiece of my program for the last several months, particularly as we continue to see it being pushed uh, into classrooms, into curricula at all ages, and I mean literally all ages, from K through 12, and obviously in colleges and universities. Um, I want to get your take on this, about the threat posed by critical theory in general from, you know, its its Marxist origins, then to critical race theory in education and also, quite frankly, in practice in our uh, in our culture, in our work world, in corporate America, and sadly, maybe even most dangerously, in our military. So that's a lot, Claire. Let's break it down little by little. And I want to first start with your explanation. And I and I got this from Christopher Rufo, and I played it from Christopher Rufo and a number of Peter Kersenow and a number of others. Give me your explanation of what critical theory and critical race theory actually are. Well, you know, I could never do better than Christopher Rufo. He He's one that I'm learning from myself. But um, as you probably heard from him, 
uh, critical theory and, and ultimately critical race theory derive from Marxism. And they are uh, rooted uh, in, in the 20th century or even further back, if you, if you want to take it back to the 1848 Communist Manifesto of Karl Marx and uh, Friedrich Engels. But, but the, the critical theory really uh, took form uh, in, in the 20th century after the Russian Revolution of 1917 and when the uh, new Bolshevik regime um, wanted to export the revolution. Uh, and they first thought to do that in Germany because they already had cells uh, established there, but, but it didn't work. And the reason was the rise of, of the Nazis at the time and, and Hitler, and they kicked the commies out uh, for the most part. And so then they set their sights on the United States, and they came here, and they got a foothold uh, with the Frankfurt School. Yes, comes from Frankfurt, Germany. Mm-hmm. Got their foothold at Columbia University in New York. And it was out of that and, and other faculty, leftist, communist faculty lounges um, that, that the ideology of critical theory and ultimately critical race theory took shape and form and spread throughout academia first, and then more broadly throughout our society. Uh, basically, just very basically what it is, critical theory uh, takes aim at Western civilization. It, it takes aim at uh, our uh, liberal, Western, democratic style of Republican, that is, a republic, government, mm-hmm. um, individual liberties, consent, government by consent of the governed, equality before the law, uh, all of those, those principles dear to us, uh, and instead promotes, uh, first of all, the chaos that would lead to a revolution, a communist revolution, and then that communist revolution um, would, would usher in uh, communist rule. And, and what, what people need to understand is that it's not really even about economics, Marxism, let's say, versus capitalism. Uh, although that was the premise of Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. But it's not really what it's about. What it's really about uh, is instigating enough division within society that leads to chaos, that leads to revolution, that a small, tiny elite can seize power. And then they will live, uh, like, like rulers in every place that this has ever happened, live luxuriously, that is to say, while oppressing the masses of the population uh, whose freedoms will be taken away uh, and who will live miserably, as we can see right now unfolding in front of our eyes in places like Cuba and, of course, also Venezuela. Claire, that, Claire Lopez is our guest. That is a great definition, a great primer on, on critical theory and its origins. Um, Sowing the seeds of chaos and division, as you just pointed out, is the goal, and, and, and that's the, the tool or the method to get where they wanted to be. Did it always have to be race? It wasn't always fated. Race, race wasn't always fated to be the, uh, the instrument of this division and chaos. It just seemed to be, or at least to me, it seems to be uh, what has become the most, you know, the easiest uh, for them to use. And to, to, Correct. To, to, yeah, to you're absolutely right, Bob. Yeah, because in the beginning, of course, you know, Karl Marx and, and Engels and the Bolsheviks and Lenin, they framed um, the revolution in economic terms, the proletariat versus the bourgeoisie, right? But that wasn't going to work here in the United States, where our free market capitalist system offers 
upward mobility, opportunity uh, to, to anyone with the talent and the willingness to work for it. So they had to find another wedge issue to divide our society. And because Americans are so ridiculously sensitive about race, they picked race. And that is why critical theory became critical race theory, under which ideology, everything is viewed through a racial lens. Um, the and oppressed what? and the oppressor, you know, divisions remain, but now it's about race. Everything is race. And, and, and last summer seemed to uh, be what propelled this forward at, at rocket-like speed. Um, it, it became, because George Floyd died around Memorial Day of last year, it became the summer or the year of racial reckoning. Everything re- related to race was weaponized after George Floyd died because of nine minutes of video of all, that officer, the I- ignorant officer, uh, kneeling on George Floyd, even though there was no mention of the word race, by the way, in that trial, in that investigation, in that uh, jury verdict, race was never a part of it. It became uh, the flashpoint for race. Do you think we would be where we are with the advancement of critical race theory in curricula and in um, uh, the corporate corporate America and in our military had it not been for that one flashpoint last May? Well, it may or may not have been. Um, that was a flashpoint, no question about it. It did set off the current chain of events that we're still mired in today. But if it hadn't been that event, it would have been something else, because the tinder had long been piled high. That was the spark to the tinder. But if it hadn't been that spark, it would have been another Trayvon Martin. It would have been another Ferguson riot. It would have been something, because the tinder, the the, the, the ground had already been prepared um, for just such an explosion uh, of violence. And and so, yes, that, that did set it off, George Floyd. Um, but if it hadn't been that, it would have been something else. Okay, and that, that, I, I have no doubt of that, because that was the goal, of course, from the beginning of critical theory. They just needed something to do exactly that, to set it off, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. So now here we are in 2021, about a month away from schools opening up again, uh, and the concern and the question is, is what are our kids going to be told? Are they going to be told that America is a systemically racist nation? Uh, it is irredeemably a racist nation, uh, one that continues to oppress the existence of white people, as critical race theory teaches. The existence of white people makes them oppressors. The existence of people with brown and black skin makes them automatically victims forever, uh, you know, to be. Uh, is this what's going to be in American schools, and what should be the response from the American public, and more more appropriately, the American parent? Well, critical race theory already is in the curricula of school systems across the United States. Uh, and yes, children going back, uh, not just to public schools, but private schools too, and charter schools too, some, not all, um, will be confronted with this uh, come the next school uh, semester you know, coming up. Um, But, you know, a hat tip to Ohio, the state of Ohio, uh, but also other states across the country, because in some, you know, way, the the, the sliver, the little silver lining sliver um, uh, of of ray of hope uh, of the last year's uh, lockdowns was that parents were stuck at home with their children. And for the first time, for many of them, they were able to see and watch what the children were learning because they were doing remote learning on a laptop at the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. And what the parents saw appalled them. 
they were just horrified at what they saw and furious. And the result has been a tidal wave of parental response across the country. Parents waking up to what's going on, going to the school board meetings, whether remotely or in person, often now and more and more in person, to confront these school boards, many of which are elected uh, and can be replaced and are being replaced, but others are appointed, but they're appointed by someone who is elected, and, and therefore they can be replaced too. And that is happening. Um, it, it, won't, it won't solve everything all at once. Um, but I, I, I would say that, you know, the, the, uh, the path that, that the state of Ohio has been taking, um, in particular under, you know, leadership like uh, Lisa Woods at uh, McFan, the Medina County Friends and Neighbors Group, where I'll be speaking uh, tomorrow morning, um, groups like that are, are rising all over the country, is what I wanted to tell you. Um, and and they are, they're going to make a difference, and that's what's going to stop this stuff in its tracks. Yes, it's still going on. Yes, it'll still be in the curricula uh, in, in this fall, this fall semester. Uh, but parents know it now, and they are uh, they're organizing. They're organizing at the local level, and that's how it's going to be stopped. It is, of course, in <clears throat> going to be in the curricula in these schools. You're right, but it is going to be elsewhere in addition. It's going to be in workplaces. It's going to be in corporate boardrooms. It's going to be forced into corporate break rooms, for goodness sakes. Uh, and then, of course, the military. That's what I want to talk with you about next. Uh, hang on with me for just a moment here, Claire Lopez, and we will also talk about your appearance at Medina County Friends and Neighbors tomorrow. We'll continue with Claire right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Just because we get around Okay, 1023, we continue now with Claire Lopez. Claire Lopez is the president of Lopez Liberty, LLC. She is also on the board with United West. Uh, She wrote a wonderful four-piece series for Front Page Magazine, and I don't know if it ran on other sites or not, but I found it on Front Page Magazine, uh, highlighting and explaining in minute detail uh, the history of critical theory, going back to Marxism, which he touched on for us, and then, of course, the ongoing expansion of critical race theory in our schools. Uh, and, Claire, um, I want to go to the workplace now. I'm going to give two examples of how critical race theory is impacting our work, because it's in some ways... This is almost worse than it being in our schools. If parents see critical race theory in their kids' schools, they can always pull them out, put them in a private school. If they see it there, they can homeschool. At least there's chances to move around and find. But people's jobs, their livelihoods are impacted if they have to quit their workplace because of this type of thing. And here's a couple of examples. Um, the Government Alliance on Race and Equity is a nonprofit organization that trains local governments. Their comprehensive list of marketing materials uh, includes radical claims such as, and this is what they teach local government officials, hard work is a myth. Inherent, uh, city and town institutions are inherently and structurally racist. Local officials must drive specific outcomes for people of color. And, oh, by the way, the 1964 Civil Rights Act is racist. The second one is in private corporate America, talking about Coca-Cola. It's a private company, not a public company, although it's traded publicly, but nonetheless. Uh, employees there famously have been uh, forced to undergo diversity training programs held by Robin DiAngelo, uh, it, which included uh, um, course training to, quote, be less white, to be less oppressive. 
to be less arrogant, to be less trusting, to be less defensive, to be less ignorant, to be more humble, to listen, believe, break with apathy, and break with white solidarity. So, Claire, how pervasive is CRT in workplaces, public and private, and is it as dangerous or more so in some ways, as I said, than even in the educational institutions? Well, it's, it's all over the place, just as you say, Bob. It's, it's in the workplaces. It's in the federal government and its agencies and organizations, and then on down uh, government, you know, to the state and the local level as well, and to private companies, as, as you mentioned. But, but I think there is the opportunity um, for legal measures. And, and you mentioned the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, the, the kind of uh, forced indoctrination um, training and an ultimately threat of, of employment or employment loss um, is, is illegal. It is unconstitutional. And uh, there are going to be lawsuits hitting the courts um, by people harmed, uh, coming from people who have been uh, fired from jobs, unequal treatment before the law. Uh, I mean, th- th- this gets right back to the Civil Rights Act. It gets to our constitutional amendments, 13 and 14 and 15. Um, uh, that that is going to be the remedy, I think, for that. But yeah, right now it is pervasive. It is sweeping through uh, society and our workplaces across the country. Claire, it's also, and this has been uh, chronicled fairly well over the last few months. Um, it's also in the United States military. Uh, yeah. The highest-ranking naval officer, Admiral Michael Gilday, has pushed and recommended. Uh, Ibram X. Kendi's book, Ant- How to Be an Anti-Racist, on all sailors and seamen in the Navy. Um, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Millie, has done the same thing for virtually all branches of the service. This is wokeness beyond you know any any anything we have previously seen, and and it's literally impacting. According to people with a lot more you know a lot better knowledge of the military than I, it's impacting military preparedness. They're worried more about uh, you know about racial uh, division than and and about also about pronouns. The LGBTQ agenda has made its way through this as well than they are about military preparedness and protecting this country. How big of a concern is that to you? Huge, a huge concern. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Ibram X. Kendi. Of course, that's not his real name. It's an assumed name. Yeah. Um, but uh, in addition to the, the books he's written, like the one you cited, um, one of his most, uh, I think, memorable or, or, well, not memorable, but notable, let's say, <laughs> uh, quotes, um, is, is, is something to the effect of uh, the remedy for past discrimination is current discrimination. The remedy for current discrimination is future discrimination. Now, I, I, I think I have that quote right, although I'm you're not right. looking at it right now. No, you're right. But, huh? No, I was saying you're right. You had it right. Exactly okay. correct. Yeah. Um, so, uh, once again, and, and if you're talking about the United States government, um, that is illegal. It is unconstitutional um, to openly promote discrimination. That is illegal under the, constitutions and the, the Constitution and the laws derived from it. Uh, the, the one other thing I'll add right here now is that there was a recent survey done by a polling firm, and I forget which one, but that polling firm um, went to the rank and file of the Navy, mm-hmm. not to the officer cadre, but, but to the rank and file enlisted personnel, and they asked them questions, just what you were saying, Bob, about readiness and about this, this woke stuff. And uh, 
those Navy personnel were quite frank and open. I mean, I, I think they were guaranteed anonymity, which, uh, you know, is appropriate for this. Um, but, but they were asked questions about how uh, the, these new, you know, uh, ideologies and trainings and, and, and all this woke stuff, how that is um, having an impact on, uh, on readiness, on, on readiness to go to war, which is what the Navy's for. And um, one and all, the, these, uh, these Navy personnel uh, answered that it is having a terrible effect uh, on their training, on their readiness. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention one other thing. Over the last, I don't know, three, five years or so, or so mm-hmm. there have been several tabletop war game exercises done um, in which uh, the scenario was the United States uh, versus uh, China, and in particular our navies versus each other in, for example, the Western Pacific, what we would say is the Western Pacific, the South China Sea area, and each time, guess what? We lost. We lose. The Chinese won. So yep. this is very serious. It's extremely serious, and it's it's uh, it, 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 it's putting our national security at risk. I uh, I have been saying since we've started to learn more about what's going on in our military that our State Department better be on its game because we better be good at solving things diplomatically. If we have to go to war with some of these enemies, we're done. Uh, and that's a shame to say because we've always been the most powerful military in the world since our inception, but I don't think that is any longer true. We better know how to conduct dip- uh, diplomacy. Claire Lopez will be the keynote speaker tomorrow morning, Medina County Friends and Neighbors, uh, at the Thirsty Cowboy, I presume, which is where all of the meetings have been held, uh, 8.30 tomorrow. Uh, I always love uh, the good people at Medina County Friends and Neighbors, and I know they're going to love listening to you. You'll have, what, about uh, 60, 90 minutes or so? We only talked for 22 minutes, and we covered a lot of ground. you've You've got a lot more to go in a lot more depth. You've got about 60 or 90 minutes or so tomorrow, right? Yeah, something like that, and uh, I'm willing to stay around if they're able to uh, remain at the restaurant. I'm, I'm willing to stay as long as people might have questions or comments. Oh, they're going to love that, and I know they will take you up on it. Be careful what you wish for, <laughs> because you may be there all day with the information that you've got to share. Claire, thank you. Seriously, I thank appreciate you, you coming out, and I appreciate you coming on the air here. Thank you much. Thank you. God bless. All right, that's Claire Lopez, one of my favorite people to talk to. She is just a wealth of information on so many extraordinarily important things to this country. So thanks to her. Uh, Time out now, and we'll talk to another wealth of great information. Christina Hagan, former Ohio State representative, will join us next. AM 1420, The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, And then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Onward we roll now, 1036. Great stuff from Claire Lopez. Great stuff from Robert Spencer. And I expect great things from Christina Hagen, former Ohio State representative, joining us for our regular Friday conversation about the top stories of the day and of the week. Christina, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I am fired up like I am every single week about the crazy happenings that we watch every single day as Americans under this administration. 
Well, I am too, and I'm glad to hear that you are. But before we get to things under the administration, this is breaking news as of this morning, so I'm going to let you listen to this for a second, and then I'll ask you a response. This is more than a game. We remember those moments as we move forward with change. You see, it has always been Cleveland that's the best part of our name. And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest, to come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together we are all Cleveland Guardians. There you have it, Christina Hagan. It is official. George Floyd died last year, so the Cleveland Indians name had to go. And that's literally what happened here. What is your response to the official change of the Indians to the Guardians? Um, my response is, what a shame. What a shame. You know, it's nothing is sacred. Nothing is protected. Everything is political. And we can't even enjoy baseball in this country anymore. We can't, embo- we can't enjoy professional sports. We can't get a break from the propaganda wing of the Democrat Party, which has infiltrated everything that we know and love, whether that be business or leisure. Um, There is nothing left that they have not infected. Uh, What a shame. That's all I have to say. I also find it funny, by the way, the two-minute and 11-second promotional video announcing the name change is narrated by Tom Hanks, who's bragging about how great it is to be from the land. I wonder how many people know he's from the other land, Oakland, not Cleveland. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's completely bizarre. I got a guy from Oakland bragging about how great it is to be in this wonderful city and to be from from the land. Uh, Yeah, okay. Uh, And again, the worst part about it to me is, you know, the Indians were fine. They fought against all of this. Oh, this is, you know, the PC police screaming, this is offensive, blah, 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 for decades and decades and decades. Suddenly, George Floyd dies last year, the summer of racial reckoning, and anything and everything that anybody is ever accused of being insensitive uh, or polit- or uh, uh, racially insensitive has to go. The Indian woman on the Land of Lakes Butter, or Land of Lakes Butter, uh, you know, the Uncle Ben's Rice, Cleveland Indians, you name it, it's got to go, all because George Floyd died last year. And I just find that disgusting. Crazy. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely oh. crazy. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into some of the stuff. You mentioned the administration. This is technically not the Biden administration. It's the legislature, the other branch. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has her select committee ready to go. She names eight, named eight Democrats. No, seven official Democrats and one Republican, Liz Cheney, who's serving as a Democrat. To her committee, there were allowed to be five Republicans appointed by Kevin McCarthy to uh, that committee to in- investigate what happened on uh, January 6th. And, of course, you know the story from there. Jim Banks of Indiana, Jim Jordan from uh, Ohio, our 4th Congressional District Representative, were named by Kevin McCarthy. She booted them. She didn't want to hear from them. She didn't want them to participate. So Kevin McCarthy pulled the entire Republican lineup from the committee. They said, we'll do our own investigation and compare it to yours. And you say what? a continuation of their authoritarian regime to censor and um, moderate American speech. They don't want to hear from the right. They don't want to hear from those who are willing to share the truth about January 6th. 
And certainly, they do not want our best and our brightest uh, bringing accountability to any illegitimate, ridiculous panel that they're forming. So, of course, um, there's no place for a Jordan. There's no place for a Banks. Um, both of them have made statements, and those statements are what they try to use to delegitimize them from having the ability and standing to be on a committee of this sort. One of those things that Jordan said that she highlighted was we should still try to figure out exactly what took place here. And as I said, that includes, I think, debates on the House floor. How dangerous that he would ask for debates on the House floor about what actually transpired on January 6th. Can't have him on board. Uh, Also, Mr. Banks released a statement after he was chosen to serve as the top Republican on the panel that seemingly referred to the violent rioters as patriotic Americans expressing their political views, which I think any of us looking back, watching the news clips that day, observed the grand majority were just that, but they want to completely demonize all Republicans, all conservatives, especially anybody who dare say that they have any support or any belief in Donald J. Trump. So he he further said that they would use the committee to turn the spotlight back on Democrats, scrutinizing why the Capitol was not better prepared for the attack, as well as unrelated political rights last summer during the national wave of protests against systemic racism. Um, and he also said he wouldn't allow for this committee to be turned into a forum for condemning millions of Americans because of their political beliefs. Nancy Pelosi will not have that. And I, you know, I continue to think about this continued censorship, um, just the nature of who they are and what they're doing. And I ask the same question every single day. Why aren't we investigating the burning down of American cities for over a year straight? Statements that were made by Democrat leaders to incite that chaos and destruction of our American cities and actions either not taken to stop it or actions taken to promote it, worse, taken to promote it regularly, um, that were much more egregious than anything that the President of the United States has ever said. Um, That will never be a public discussion, and that's why they can't have truth agents like Jordan and Banks present in these conversations. Jim Jordan said in his, uh, he said the same thing to me, but he also said it in his press conference on Wednesday. Uh, you know, what else does Nancy Pelosi and, and do the Democrats have to do? What else can they talk about? Can they talk about the economy and inflation? Can they talk about, uh, the southern border? Can they talk about, uh, you know, the disaster that is the COVID-19 response? I mean, what do they have to respond to, or uh, excuse me, to focus on? They can't focus on six months of accomplishments of Joe Biden because they've accomplished nothing. So the only thing they can do is turn back to orange man bad and go back to january 6th and take another run at him precisely it's always the art of distraction from their very destruction they don't want people to realize the unparalleled inflation that we're all going to experience and the misery that they're creating for americans so they continue to point in the direction of donald trump he's the evildoer he is wrong he's destroyed our country yet we're watching it fall to shambles right in front of us under their leadership and under their direction Let's talk. I mentioned the uh, disaster that is their COVID-19 response. They are so all over the place right now. Um, Christina, the, the Biden administration now has uh, a new policy. The, the old policy was vax or mask. Vax or mask. If you want to not have to wear a mask, take the shot and get the vaccine so that you're protected and inoculated and can't spread this to other people. Otherwise, you have to wear a mask. And if you don't want that, you have to do the masking. Now they literally have changed it to vax and mask. Get the shot, and because we don't believe in the shot, wear a mask anyway. 
They literally are trying to keep control over the people, and I think so many different ways. Uh, and and uh, they're they're running out of ways to hide this. This is all about power and control and fear. At least that's what I see. What do you see? I see I see a people being controlled by an authoritarian government that's heading quickly, not even into socialism, but into communism. I mean, this is CCP level. Uh, mind control kind of stuff. And the fact that there have to be no single set of facts that are consistent through any of these waves of new policy, new direction, backtracking, doing the same thing. There's no accountability. There's never any accountability for the left. Um, I feel like when I'm in, you're in kindergarten, they say, you know, Simon says this, Simon says that, Simon says, they've stopped saying Simon says, and they're just saying, do the action, do the action, and people are doing it. Even though Simon didn't say, there is no fact that backs the actions that they're asking us to follow through with. And even the World Health Organization is all over the place on this. Um, one of their uh, recent statements within the last few weeks, they've urged fully vaccinated people to continue wearing masks indoors and practice social distancing as the Delta variant surges in parts of the world. They say people cannot feel safe just because they had two doses. They still need to protect themselves, a.k.a. Pharmaceutical companies have more money to make, more people to injure, more, more, more to push on those who are willing to be subjected to factless, aimless direction of our country, of our world. Um, I pray, I hope and pray that people are paying attention, that they're looking at the data, that they're making decisions for themselves at this point. And even when they start to force these masks, I pray people will be standing up. And I've had numerous calls. Um, from concerned parents, from concerned employees um, that are worried about the policies of their employers, that are worried about the policies of their children's private schools. And, you know, kudos to the state. They got public institution coverage, but we also have kids in private schools. And they're being subjected to um, either taking the shot, again, you know, not, not fully proven, not fully tested, not fully approved. And yet they're being forced to take it in order to continue their education. It's dead wrong. Parents need to stand up. Students need to stand up. Employees need to stand up. Present the facts. Push back. Write op-eds. Do anything and everything that you can do to ensure that you're not submitting to tyranny. Um, OAMF has done a great job of highlighting schools and employers and people that are forcing um, mandatory vaccines for continuing a normal way of life. Um, and they're doing what they did with the flu vaccine, you know, six, eight, ten years ago when I was dealing with this in the legislature, creating the second tier society. And if you don't do as they say, then they're going to force you to mask. They're going to force you to put stickers on your badges that say that you're the leper, that you are unclean, that you are not, you know, not worthy of normal things. But now they're saying, you know, it seems like this policy to separate us hasn't worked because people just don't wear the mask like they want them to. Now they're going to force everybody to mask in. And the, the sad and unfortunate part is people will submit. So let's not submit. Let's stand up. Let's take our rights back. Let's ensure our liberties. And let's ensure that we're making decisions based off of facts, based off of ingredients, based off of outcomes, and not based off of a government that wants to control and govern over us without any reason or any logic.
Yeah, and you know, you're right, we will be forced to comply, I'm afraid, and especially for the kids, because they're saying you can't walk into the school unless you have the mask on, even though the science does not support A, masking as stopping COVID, and B, uh, that children don't carry COVID. They don't get infected, they do at a very, very tiny rate. The number of them that actually need to be hospitalized is even smaller. The number of them that pass it on to other kids or adults is even smaller than that, uh, and yet they're going to make all of these kids suffer under that. So that's the biggest concern. The last thing on this uh, that I want to do, what you and I just said, Christina Hagen, and what you just said in particular, if it were in written form on Facebook, would have been flagged, uh, probably deleted, and you probably would have been suspended or banned because you would be considered by Joe Biden and his team a purveyor of, quote, misinformation when it comes to health, when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to COVID-19. This is what they're doing. We've talked about this. The, the uh, federal government, the Joe Biden administration has admitted that they are flagging posts that Facebook isn't getting to and telling Facebook, this one's got to go, that one's got to go, this one's got to go. This is so much bigger than COVID-19 and so much bigger than vaccinations. This is free speech being suppressed, being quashed, quite frankly, by a an ever-growing uh, tyrannical government. How can we stop the government from uh, taking us over if we if we surrender our first, most basic First Amendment rights? Uh, we can't. We can't. That's why we cannot surrender our basic First Amendment rights. And it's ludicrous um, that the government is working in conjunction with social media, with big tech, to police Americans' free speech. I mean, people should be rising up all over the country, regardless of political affiliation, and realizing that their freedom of speech is next. Right now, it might be something they agree with, but the reality is this obvious effort to stifle scientific and medical debate is dangerous for every single American, every single American. And so I think this is, this is something that every American should be sounding the alarm on, ringing the bell on, talking to their neighbors about. Um, I'm, I'm mortified at this point, Bob. I mean, the fact that they're doing this on social media, they have been doing this on social media, and now they're saying they haven't done it enough. I mean, they've been doing it consistently and constantly. I've had posts censored. I know you've had posts censored. And now they're saying that Facebook hasn't done enough. Biden attacked his very own enforcement arm of this agenda and said they haven't done enough to meet his vaccination goals. And then Facebook pushes back and says, oh, you know, X number of Facebook users are vaccinated or either have a desire to be vaccinated. So they have, in in essence, already controlled the mind and thinking of the major Facebook population. And here the federal government is saying that is not sufficient. You know, when will it? Nothing will be sufficient. They're going to knock down our doors and force us into submission. This is incredibly, wildly dangerous and disturbing stuff and we're in the midst of it i i only ask people to be prepared mentally to know and understand that all americans are under attack this is not just conservative americans this is not just people that wish to have medical freedom this is all americans and this is just the beginning christina hagan laying it out is it is exactly as dangerous as she just described it and uh so glad to have you here to kind of uh uh, to, to put a voice to that. Christina, thank you so much. Great to talk to you. We'll do it again next week. Great, man. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. It's uh, 1051. Hit them where they ain't. I said that at the top of the show. I'm going to say it to wrap the show. That means you've got to make your calls when I don't have a guest on the line. Right now is that time. 216-901-0945. We'll take a few to wrap it up after this.
10.54. Final segment of this Friday broadcast. Uh, let's go to Frank, who's calling us from Brook Park. Hey, Frank, you're on the air on a, on a free-for-all Friday. Go ahead, good sir. Thank you. And just like Ronald Reagan, there was a General George Washington, America's mm-hmm. first president. Yes, sir. I want to read his quote. One, Do it. quick. Let's hear it. While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers... We certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher order duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriots, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian, General George Washington, our first president. That's it. Thank you. Frank, thank you. God bless. I appreciate you sharing that. I have been so into uh, reading and watching documentaries on the American Revolution of re- in recent weeks and in recent months. Uh, it really kind of crescendoed on, obviously, the 4th of July, uh, about two, three weeks ago now. Um, but I have been so into this and learning more and more and more about what courage it took uh, to declare our independence, to fight uh, for our freedom, uh, those colonials who did what they did, it's it's just a remarkable thing. If you think your education ends when you graduate from high school or from college, you're doing it wrong. Keep educating yourself. I've been out of college now for 30-plus years, and I'm still learning. And uh, uh, the courage of Washington, the courage of Jefferson, the courage of Adams, too. You've got to learn more. Uh, it's, it's really a remarkable thing. Uh, let's go to, uh, oh, it's Lisa. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Did you hear Claire Lopez? I sure did. Yeah, I listen wonderful. to your show every day. It's the Aww. one thing that I listen to on the weeks, weekdays from 9 to 11 because it is it gives me all the information I need and then I can turn it off and then I can go to my busy day and not be interrupted <laughs> anymore. It's your show and that's almost it except for when I'm just driving down the road and and then I listen to Prager and all those other great um people on the same station but Wow, you are really nailing it today, and thank you for having Claire. Fantastic. She, um, we can't wait to hear more from her tomorrow. And I just want to make sure everyone knows where it is, because every time we get some first-timers, and we are right at 71 and 18 on Route 18, which is also um, Medina Road, and the Thirsty Cowboys address is 2743 Medina Road, in Medina, and uh, it's also in the Antique Mall Plaza, also known as Plaza 71. Well, yeah, it's good to get that out there. I'm glad to hear you say that. And what I said to Claire at the end, too, is so true. You know, what she's going to talk about for, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes, whatever it's going to be, she could do for probably 90 hours uh, if you really want to know the truth. She has so much information. She's such a a wealth of information on CRT and history. So uh, I was so glad to hear her say that she will stay there and talk with people at the Thirsty Cowboy as long as they want to stay and if they don't boot them out of the Thirsty Cowboy, she'll stay and talk to them. So I hope people take advantage of that. Thank you. You know, speakers like Claire Lopez and Peter Kersenow, they always go long, and we always are so grateful for that. We're also grateful that the Thirsty Cowboy uh, puts up with us at such an early hour because, you know, they're closing late and coming back in early just for us to come in. So, so we really there. appreciate that and, and all the good stuff that we've got to do. Um, it you takes know, running great partners. School board. 
Yeah, it takes great partners to do great things, and you've got them there at the Thirsty yes. Cowboy, too. Lisa, thank you. I always appreciate hearing from you. I want to squeeze a couple more in before the top of the hour and uh, the end of the show. Jan is in uh, Greater Cleveland. Hi, Jan. Go ahead. Oh, hi, Bob. It kind of irritated me today on the Hugh you Hewitt show. He kept calling himself Larry Elder's twin. Now, he is not exactly Larry Elder's twin. They, they have, they're, they're diverse, they, their views are not the same. And I don't think he's doing Larry any favors by referring to himself as a twin. Larry's one of my favorite and, uh, you know, the favorite talk shows. And you, uh, Hewitt is actually my least favorite. So, well, I, I appreciate. Thank Jen. Thank you. I appreciate your point of view there. Um, I, I would agree to the extent that I think they're different guys. I think they're different types of conservatives. I think I probably ring a lot more true to the Larry Elder type of conservative than I do Hughes' version of conservatism. But uh, that's not to say that there isn't a place for all of it. There is. He is more center right. Hughes more center right. Larry is more right right. And I'm on the right of that. Uh, and that's where we're going to have to leave it today. Thanks to my great guests, Robert Spencer today, Claire Lopez, and Christina Hagan. Thanks to John running the show, Marcy producing, and thanks to you for listening. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.